Hey y'all, welcome back. This is Bud Elliott, your National Recruiting Director for SB Nation, alongside Morgan Moriarty. Morgan, what's going on? Doing well. Slow week so far. It, it is. It, you keep your fingers crossed that uh, nothing, nothing bad breaks. <laughs> Maybe some news will be coming along. It'll be solid. Uh, guys, this is the College Football Recruiting Podcast, and we talk a little recruiting, and we talk largely more the college football world, kind of with a recruiting slant on it, because it, it's tough sometimes to talk recruiting for a whole hour. And, uh, and then we, we talk a little little college football in general as well. But this week, we actually have some actual commitment news to talk about. Uh, so that Morgan, uh, Justin Fields, five-star quarterback from Georgia, number one prospect in the country by, by most uh, people's account, ends up ending his recruitment a little early and uh, going with Georgia. Yeah, this was a little surprising. And we talked last week um, that at the time when we recorded, he was thinking about taking a visit to Florida State. Um, and he had just come off of an Alabama visit last weekend. Um, so that was a little bit surprising, but not too surprising that Georgia came out the winner. Um, as we talked about before, I mean, Kirby Smart's done really well with not only in-state prospects, but in-state quarterbacks. We've seen that with Jake Fromm, obviously, um, last year and, and getting him to come with him when he took the job at Georgia. Um, so, but that's, I mean, it's huge for Georgia. They now have, they're loaded at quarterback. They have Jacob Eason, who didn't look too good last weekend. They tried to throw him out there a little bit. Um, Jake Fromm obviously has, has been great all season, but I mean, you got to feel good if you're Georgia fans with, with fields committing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, now the question becomes, how do you balance playing time? For three five-star QBs, I mean, this mm-hmm. was great. I, I totally agree with you, by the way, that the the destination of Georgia was not surprising. The timing was a little bit surprising, right? You know, just because you figured, <clears throat> at least from what he had said earlier, you, know, you wanted to take some more visits, and uh, I guess he just felt moved, and at the time was right. He's going to be able to play uh, with his sister, who is also a, is committed uh, to Georgia to play softball. I know his family would be happy to have him close to home, and, and Georgia has some real momentum rolling on a recruiting trail right now, uh, as does Oregon. Oregon gets a pretty nice flip. Yeah, Tyler Shuck um, flipping from UNC to Oregon, coming off of his official visit over the weekend. Huge for Willie Taggart. I think this is Oregon's first quarterback for that class. Uh, yes. Not not sure on that, but yeah, I mean, huge to get that flip. And I mean, if you're looking at you know where UNC is now, I mean – can't blame him from from making the flip after a visit after what what UNC is looking like so far this season. Right, you look at UNC and, and they're having I mean one of the worst years uh, out of any major conference program and I mean losing at home to Cal was pretty bad. They got mm-hmm. blown out by Notre Dame. Maybe no shame in that, but but yeah, not a good year for them. They're also playing a freshman quarterback at North Carolina. So if you're if you're Tyler, uh, you look at that and you say, well, hey, Oregon's not. You know, right. Oregon's going to have some guys leaving pretty soon. Uh, and and look, the Oregon offense looks exciting to play. Not that North Carolina is not; they've, they've put up a lot of points recently as well. But it's also West Coast kid finding mm-hmm. a, a spot on the West Coast that just fits him a little bit better. And UNC does have um, Jace Reuter, I think is his name. How you pronounce that? Yes, uh, the Kansas kid. Yeah, three star. Um, so I mean, that class was already a little crowded at the quarterback position, but um, so you know, not too surprising that commit. What, what, what was interesting, there was a time over the summer, uh, and we see this every year, where you had some kids who were sort of, I want to call them like mid-upper 
tier kids, like they're not your five stars or your high four stars, but they're kind of mm-hmm. those like three slash fours. Uh, and they're the kids that a lot of the big schools or bigger schools don't really want to go in on quite yet because they're still chasing their their A1 targets. And they would like these kids to wait. But a lot of times the kids don't want to wait. And look, they smartly want to find a home. They want to have a, a spot secured in a class. Well, look, Oregon's a better program than North Carolina is. Now that Oregon shows more interest in, in Tyler Shuck, right. he, ends, he ends up flipping there. I think he's an example of a kid like that. I know Michigan liked him too. Uh, I don't know if they were necessarily ready to take him uh, back over the summer. I, I actually like him better uh, than than their current quarterback commitment at Michigan. That's something we can talk about later if you want. The uh, the Jim Harbaugh uh, QB recruiting issues and, and QB development issues so far at Michigan seems to be the only thing that program uh, isn't doing well, which is really kind of strange under Harbaugh considering his position and, and his history with, with uh, the position. Yeah, and interesting on that note, um, I was looking at Shuck's 24-7 page, which um, is our go-to um, outlet for recruiting rankings and whatnot. Uh, the crystal ball prediction still had him pretty heavily going to Michigan. So that might be you know, an interesting thing to watch coming down the stretch here as, as National Signing Day and then obviously the early signing period um, comes, comes closer. Yeah, absolutely. Um- Third, third real kind of commitment of note, uh, Florida State lands Houston Griffith. He is a uh, NFL legacy kid out of uh, out of uh, Chicago, I believe. Plays for IMG uh, down in Bradenton. Pretty versatile defensive back. You know, I, I don't think he's like the freakiest of athletes, but he's just, he's a pretty smart player and has the ability to play some safety, some corner, some of that hybrid slot that they like to use in that defense. So that, that's a good get for them. I know he his final four. Uh, was Ohio State, Notre Dame, uh, Florida State, Nebraska. So a uh, pretty good get for FSU there. And then I, I tell you what, kind of under the radar a little bit, but Mississippi State landed a pair of defensive ends in, in the last, I don't know, week or 10 days. James Williams and, and uh, Jaden Cremetti. I, I think these guys are pretty talented. I, I was like, okay, I'm not really sure who this one kid is. So I went and pulled up their stuff. And they, they got some nice looking highlights. That That's a, a good example of, of getting on kids who are, you know, sort of that maybe middle upper tier, like we talked mm-hmm. about just a second ago, right? And really making them your a number one priority if you're not a big time school like like Mississippi State. Yeah, and and we've talked about that how Dan Mullen has been able to do that really really well in Starkville. I mean, it's really hard to recruit there, especially when you're a head coach at a program that really doesn't have much school history or recruiting history. Um, so, I mean. And when you look at Mississippi State's average recruiting class rankings, I mean, it's pretty low, especially with respect to the rest of the SEC and the SEC West. But, I mean, he he gets some of these, you know, middle-tier guys that pan out really successfully. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He's one of the best scouting guys in the SEC and, and in the country. That's why I feel like, you know, if Dan did get to a better, better, bigger program, I think he would do really well because we, we know he has an eye for talent. Uh, and I, I, he certainly has experience recruiting the more kind of superstar ego type player back mm-hmm. when he was at Florida. Right. Uh, we do this every week. It's time for some hot seat talk. And uh, I, I think this week we have to start with Brett Bielema, who did not, his team did not play all that well at South Carolina. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was bad. Uh, I believe it was the first time since Will Muschamp was at Florida, and this was like kind of early in his career there, um, that 
uh, that, excuse me, Will Muschamp's team put 40 on an opponent. Now they did. I mean, if, I'm sorry, go ahead. If you know anything about Will Muschamp coach teams, I mean, <laughs> offense is not something that's the, the forefront. Oh, no, definitely not. Now, did you happen to see uh, how they did it? It was very much must champion. So I, I actually didn't. I wasn't on during that game, but I, I could see that happening. That All doesn't right. surprise me. 34-yard pick six, 73-yard fumble six, 45-yard pick six. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, that, that's that's champ's dream. It is, exactly. <laughs> their, their offense uh, – how score their defense? Field goal, field goal. Uh, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Look, <laughs> look at that, man. That. Oh man, they, I'm they, laughing. They did put I up a good through. number of points. Like, I mean, yeah. How many plays did they have? Uh, Thirty-one passes, thirty-six rushes. So they had sixty-seven plays, three hundred fifty-eight yards. So still not great, but like, look, they they created the opportunity on defense. That's that's how you want to win. Um, if, if you're most champ, I think. football right there. That really that's is deep. zero turnovers, zero whiteboard smashed. Um, <laughs> Brett Bielema's buyout is still enormous, and I feel like Arkansas's AD is one of those guys who has a pretty good idea. Like he's not one of these ads who who thinks that his program should be out there winning national titles. You know, right. And he's tied himself to Bielema pretty hard, and it was a pretty big coup when they got him from Wisconsin. But go ahead. What's his record in Arkansas? Here's the thing, though, with that buyout, like, and I was thinking about this before the show started. I can't think of one name who you could bring in after this season that would justify paying what is it, fifteen million, 15. and then, yeah. and then you have whatever the rest of his staff is supposed to get, which is probably a few million, could be five. Yeah, it, it's not. It's not. You're exactly right. I think they, they need to stick this out one more year um, just to, to get that money down. And unless Walmart or Jerry Jones just wants to say, okay, I'm just you know, I'm just going to foot the bill for this whole thing. They, they are 10 and 24 in the league, though. Oh. I, I mean, if, even if you take out the first year, which I feel like was – you probably should because that they're coming off that, like, Petrino year uh, where right. like everybody, they had a lot of transfers. And he's still – what ten and sixteen in the league? I mean, that's that's not that's that good. Not good. No, no, it's not because they did go zero and eight the first year. They're zero and two in the league this year. And, and like you mentioned, I, I don't know how much improvement you can really expect from from somebody else. You may can you are you going to shell out fifteen million to buy out Bielema? Probably I don't know five million to get somebody else, and then plus the salaries you got to pay, plus your your coordinators to go. What instead yeah. of ten and sixteen, thirteen and thirteen in the league? Yeah, it's just not worth it. At least after this season. Exactly. And I mean, just given how big that number is, I could see this going on for through the twenty eighteen season. I mean, if you're Arkansas, can you really fire a coach who make, who's made a bowl four straight years and will probably make one this year? No, I, I don't think so either. But if you're Tennessee. And your and your coach Butch Jones somehow manages to have controversy during the bye week. Like <laughs> you would figure this would be the one week where Butch could just lay low. He comes out on, on Monday or Sunday or whatever. He says this is the best bye week we've ever had. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. 
a lot of coaches say stuff like this. And then it comes out that maybe their starting quarterback is quitting the team or they've decided to make a change at quarterback and, and Quentin Dormady is, is uh, not going to start anymore. It's going to be um, Garantano. Yeah, the, I believe um, that change was confirmed or at least he addressed it today. Um, that new, He just had a, a press conference like recently today on Wednesday. So um, last I saw they were not going to go with Dormandy. Um, but also, and you mentioned the, the Butch Jones-isms, um, he also made up a term called a leadership rep, which he obviously meant, you know, mental rep, but oh, leadership yeah, yeah. rep is not a thing. <laughs> no, it's not. And for people out there listening to this, you, I'm really glad you brought up that term. A mental rep is something where, like, you may line up in formation, but you're injured, so you're not you're not trying to stress whatever right. your injury is. But it, like, lets you see what the play is and... Uh, kind of understand like the angle of the play, what what we want you to do on this play. It's really useful so that you stay fresh and you stay involved. Or uh, maybe if you're somebody who they actually plan to play on Saturday, but they just don't want you taking any kind of shots or or any kind of physical reps in practice. But yeah, or like rep, like a walkthrough on a yeah. Thursday or Friday. Leadership rep. Um, <laughs> oh, man. That's a. Uh, did you run out one by your dad? I, I know he's a coach as well. At, at, uh... I have not yet, no. Huh, leadership rep. Now, man, if you're Butch, maybe you're like, okay, leadership reps are the reps that you take when you're going 110% you're showing. You're leading by example. There's got to be a way to pull out of that tailspin he, he before you like get the He needs like a translator like or like an interpreter that says, no, 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 this is actually what he meant to say. I, I think you're right. I, man. And I know Tennessee has a good SID. I mean, I, I Mm-hmm. I think one of the better ones out there. And damn, if this just, that's got to be frustrating. <laughs> you know, they, Coming uh, they, off the bye week. Yeah. Uh, they host South Carolina. Um, so that's, their Tennessee's actually favored over South Carolina. In my opinion, that's an important win for them to get, I think, if they don't win that after losing how they did the previous week to Georgia. And then you know who's on deck after South Carolina, right? Oh, God. Bama week? Yeah, they go to Tuscaloosa. Speaking of South Carolina, <laughs> Will Muschamp is 5-0 and against Tennessee in his career um, as a head coach. That's incredible. Last year, Tennessee was like 18th in the country, and Will Muschamp upset them. Okay, so here's what I want to find out. Butch Jones has been – is this Butch Jones' fifth year or fourth year? Fifth, I believe. Okay. So that would be 12, 13, 14, 15. So he got there in 2013? I think. What I wanted to figure out was what percentage of Will Muschamp's career SEC wins are at the hands of Butch Jones. And it looks like... Oh, I have that number. Um, he is... Four. Will Muschamp is 17-22 and 22 against the rest of the SEC. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Damn. That's... Uh... So, but but he has a winning SEC record w- w- without that, huh? Or at least tied. Yeah, man, that's uh, huh? Well, Muschamp should send Bush Jones a thank you card, especially if they win this weekend. <laughs> um, by the way, Bielema has to go to Arkansas or to Alabama uh, this weekend, so that's probably not Ooh. what they want to, to find. Ed Orgeron got off the Schneid a little bit last week. Um, did you go to that? I was, thank God I was not there. No. Yeah, that was, uh, the Tom Petty <laughs> thing looked pretty cool, actually. 
the greatest thing about the Tom Petty thing, um, I, I don't know if you saw it, but but I, I wrote this. There were video of these two Florida fans. Apparently, the LSU band um, started playing right when that tribute started. Um, and the LSU band came out and said, you know, we didn't intend to do that. We usually play a song at the end of the third quarter anyways. Um, there are these two fans that were just livid um, at the LSU band. They were sitting like right above where the LSU band was. Um, and that was, it was really funny. But yeah, the Tom Petty thing was awesome. And it looks like um, that could be a, a an ongoing tradition for, for home games. So that was really cool. That would be really cool. I mean, they already have the, the We Are The Boys thing, which, mm-hmm. is, which is pretty neat. If you all have not seen that, um, it, when, Morgan, when do they play that? That is at the start of the fourth. Okay, gosh, everybody locks arms and, and does the sway, yeah. and that's pretty neat. Uh, Orgeron, like I don't think either of us thought he was going to be fired this year unless they like lost out because the fact he's a twelve million dollar buyout, which is inexplicable. Uh, but also, it's year one. They got to host Auburn this weekend. Yeah, I mean, before this Florida game that game looked to be highly in Auburn's favor, but now, I mean, that's going to be a pretty good game, despite yeah. that not being a, a ranked matchup. I, I think I agree. I I mean, LSU is a little bit better than I think people think. Auburn might be a lot better than people think, too. Like, if they had not – like I think that Mercer game is still kind of right. in people's thoughts. And slot, the, but, the, the Clemson game, too. I mean, getting sacked oh, yeah. 11 times. That's right. But, I mean – the Clemson game to me is probably if they played that again, I think that would probably happen again. Clemson up front's just that good, and Auburn's mm-hmm. not great up front, I guess. But like they fumbled, what they lost five fumbles against Mercer, something like that. Yeah. So I I don't know. That'll be interesting. That that's a game that uh, I think if you're if you're Gus Malzahn, you need to go down and win that one too. Yeah, and, and that depending on how that goes, I mean we'll we'll know who each team is um, after Saturday. Absolutely. And then finally here on our uh, – actually, we have two more. But uh, Kevin Sumlin, uh, they kind of keep playing, like, all right. You know, they – like, I know they had the UCLA collapse, and they played Bama closer than anybody's played Bama. Yeah. I kind of feel like he might win enough games to to where they just really cannot justify firing him. Um, at this point in the week, I mean, and this is me being a Florida alum and still bitter about <laughs> losing to LSU on a missed extra point. Um, I mean, I could easily see Texas A&M going into Gainesville and beating Florida. It is a night game, first night game for Florida this season, which is weird that, you know, it's mid-October and the Swamp hasn't had a night game. But I think that game's going to be – I think it has the potential to be ugly and close but I could see Kevin someone pulling something out. I, absolutely. I, I saw a stat that, uh, what is it? What was it? McIlwain is 5-10 and 10 in games where the opponent scores more than 14 or something like that. God. I, I, I don't know if I had that exactly right, but it was something I was like, oh, my God. Uh, so if you're someone, you're at 4-1 and one right now. you got seven games left. At Florida, you host Mississippi State after a bye week. Then host Auburn, host New Mexico. You're at Ole Miss, and you're at LSU. Can you go five and two in that? Because if you go five and two, then you're then you're nine and three on the year. I I feel like, or excuse me, no, you're not. 
because the UCLA went. I'm thinking wrong here. They're, they're going to need to go uh, go five and one in that stretch to go nine and three. That that might be a tough ask, but it's it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, and, and I mean, I more likely. Yeah, I could see eight and four, and if you win the bowl game, you know, you you have nine wins on the season at the end of the year. So, and we've seen we've said this with someone for like the past couple years. I mean, the beginning of the season it looks really really bad for him, and then the midway through the season, Texas A&M just groups together and 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 gets wins. So, kind of par for the course for someone. I, do you think they would they would keep him at eight and four? I mean, nine and three to me is definite keep. Like six and six is hit the road. Eight and four might be that kind of gray area. Potentially. Um, but then, I mean, what we ask every every week is who do you go after? Right. Well, I mean, there's a guy. I, I Well, I'm not supposed to say that. Source asked me not to say that so far, <laughs> so I'm not going to say that. I'll, I'll tell you off air. Um, finally, Wisconsin just beat the heck out of Nebraska in Lincoln. 38-17. Game wasn't really very close. Is Mike Riley back on the hot seat after, after that? I know they had they had gotten sort of two wins in a row with with the Rutgers and Illinois stuff, but I, what what do you think is going to happen there? This is his second year, right? Uh, no, I think it's his third year. Okay. Well, I mean, I was going to say if it was a second year, then give him another year, but it's his third. I could easily see um, him being let go at the end of the year. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, this is his third year. Uh, so far, he was six and seven, then nine and four. They're three and three now. Remaining games are uh, Purdue, Northwestern, Minnesota, uh, at Penn State, and Iowa. So, well, Ohio State this week. And uh, right. Oh yes, excuse me. Ohio State this week. Exactly right. Um, that'll be interesting. I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Uh, you want to talk some uniforms now? Yes, please. All right. <sighs> I, I'm not upset about these like our Florida blogger Andy Hutchins is. He seems to really not, not like these. But you're, you're a Gator grad. Can you explain what your reaction was when you saw this? Um, My first reaction was they are not even green. They're gray, which – Technically, if you look at like actual Florida alligators that are in the water, they're not really green, but still, I mean, I, I get what Florida was trying to do. And looking at other pictures, like under different lighting, it looks more of like an olive green, like than the actual release did. I don't like them. Um, I, I think the only alternate uniforms that Florida should be wearing are either throwback uniforms, which they did in 2006 to like commemorate the hundred years of, I think it was hundred years of Florida football. And they had like white helmets with the old F on it, um, orange and white striped sleeves. I just, I it just, I can't even imagine how making a uniform look like an alligator could turn out good. So why do you do it? <laughs> At least make it like army green. Right, like give maybe right. a slight nod to yes, alligators are not like bright neon green. If, if y'all have not been down here in Florida, uh, you might not know that, but uh, it it is a little bit too gray. Um, they also don't really look like the alligator 
uh, <laughs> like you know scales skin type thing enough. I feel like yeah, just because it's I mean it's it's fake. It's a design, so like it's yeah. really hard to recreate that on a jersey. But I feel like man. Go to like a Bell's in Florida, and you're you're gonna see like like <laughs> yeah. uh, Real Tree or um, you know uh, shoot uh, Columbia like they they all they can make some gator print yeah, yeah no doubt I feel like Nike should have consulted some like hunting or fishing apparel company uh, with <laughs> this and but they're like the socks and the shoes and and whatever to me are fine the the jersey is is kind of not great looking. It's only for one game. I'm sure some people are going to be really mad about it when they see it come Saturday. Yeah, I feel like it'll either look better under the lights and like on TV and in person, but I mean, from what I've seen so far, it's just bad. And also like they try to combine like orange in the jersey, which just makes it even more look like camo hunting gear. Yeah, that that's not the best. Um some another Florida team though actually did a pretty decent job on a uniform. Yeah, these were awesome. So UCF this Saturday night, um, they're playing East Carolina. Um, they have like these space uniforms um, to kind of honor their connection with the Kennedy Space Center, which is like an hour away from UCF um, and Cape Canaveral. Um, the UCF logo on the helmet is like a really cool moon print. And then on the jerseys, they have like what looks like an astronaut patch, which is really awesome with actually like meaningful letters and statements on it. Um, so I thought those were those were really cool. That does sound pretty cool. I, I got to check that out, too. Um, and we'll, we'll actually we'll link to those in our posts on espionation.com uh, that, that host this podcast. So if you're not a subscriber, uh, you know, and, and you find us via that, you'll be able to see those. Uh we also can talk a little Florida State-Miami. I was actually at this game. Uh, Miami comes away with the win. Really nice play there at the end. Uh, quite the defensive collapse from Florida State in the second half. Uh, 24 points and like 300 yards given up in a half after giving up about nothing for the first. Uh, and I know uh, you wrote about, um, what's it called? The, uh, the, the, like the U's kind of like fun to watch again. Sorry, I have the, lawn, the lawnmowers back. <laughs> Um, yeah, this was pretty fun to write about. Um, I just kind of wrote about a little bit touching on the you that we all remember from the eighties and nineties and early two thousands and, and how Miami is exciting again for the first time in a while, but really in like a Mark Rick specific way. Um, and I touched on a few things <laughs> most notably, and I'm sure you saw this, but, um, after the game, Miami players were, I think, like shoveling, simulating like shoveling the FSU logo. And Mark Richt like just comes over and is like, get your ass off the field or something. <laughs> something ass was like said for some reason or, or not. Um, and then you have the the Miami player using uh, Justin Blackman's leg as an air guitar um, after a tackle. That was um, fun. <laughs> so it's just – and. The biggest thing was um, him talking about swag. Um, he said this a couple summers ago and then before one of Miami's games last season, how, you know, everyone asked me, is the swag back? Am I going to bring that back at Miami? And um, pretty cool. You know, he touched on how the, the guys from the past, 
they had swag because they won, not because of anything they did. And I feel like that's, you know, we all remember the U for obviously the, the celebrations and the camo they wore before that 1987 Fiesta Bowl. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's a really cool point that he brings up is that the reason they were able to do that was because they won big games. So it's, it's cool to see Miami. Now they do have some really important games coming up. Georgia Tech this week, which looks like a sneakily good matchup um, and, and kind of a unique test for Miami coming off a big win and then having to face the triple option. Um, and then they do play Virginia Tech also um, down the stretch as well. So really interesting to see what, what Miami looks like at the back half of the season. I, I am too. I, I think they're a pretty good team. The, the one thing I didn't really – I wasn't sure about their offensive line because they, they hadn't played anybody with, with a decent defensive line coming into that game. Mm-hmm. And I felt like Florida State won up front there a lot, but I was impressed with Miami's receivers. Braxton Berrios and, and Richards and those guys got the better a lot of times of, of Florida State secondary and took advantage uh, of, of some blown coverages as well. And Malik Rozier hung in there. I mean, Florida State hit him a lot, and he did a pretty nice job. I, that front seven of Miami is, is really good. Um, we'll see how Georgia Tech is able to block. And I know Mark Rick typically does pretty well against Georgia Tech. Um, but, you know, Morgan, in, in, in reading your post, I, I like this turnover chain thing. You know, it's something – and the reason I like it is the kids seem to like it. Yeah. You know, like, there's not a whole lot of downside to it. I, I don't think – I don't think kids are going to try for turnovers too much to the point where they're abandoning their assignments or whatever just to get a right. turnover chain. It's just it's fun to to reward people for stuff. It, it, kids seem to like it. I don't see any downside to this, and it's not a trash can, right? <laughs> like like Butch Jones does. Yeah, yeah. It's actually like a cool, very Miami esque type like celebration for getting a turnover. The one funny thing about that, and I think this was like late September. Um, one of the Miami players who got the chain, like got a penalty because he was so excited to get it that he like took his helmet off on the field because whoever, whoever hands it out, like was coming over to give it to him and he took his helmet off before he made it to the sideline and they got penalized, but it didn't matter because they were up like a few scores, but I thought that was funny, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun and it's, it's cool to see on the sidelines, obviously. Do you know uh, what South Beach towing is? That I do show. not. So they have this uh, this show called South Beach Tow, and it is this lady named Bernice, and she runs a tow truck, and like she repos cars, and uh, and tows and all this stuff. And there's of course all these like fights and whatnot. Uh, so I I asked our our GIF maker, I was like, hey, we got to be prepared for this on on Tomahawk Nation. If Miami gets a turnover, and the turnover chain is awarded and is subsequently overturned, right? Uh, so we had Bernice, you know, from Miami South Beach Tow, uh, re- removing the uh, turnover chain from <laughs> one of Miami's players. That's awesome. But uh, the call wasn't overturned, so uh, we, we couldn't run. I still have that kind of in the tank there. Um, I did write a pretty long thing this week about uh, pace and tempo and how it's important to marry your approach of that with your um, – valuing of possessions and using all four downs appropriately and perhaps not punting the ball from the 37 of Miami twice. And I I did some research and I actually found that uh, in the last seven seasons, which is the entirety of Jimbo's uh, time in Tallahassee, 
No team in college football has attempted fewer fourth downs. Florida State has attempted only 50. 119 teams out of 121 in that time, who have been in the FBS the whole time, have gone for at least 91 times. So basically everybody, with the exception of LSU, has like doubled up Florida State in their time there, which is, is kind of crazy to me when you consider uh, the, the, the talent advantage Florida State often has, and they don't mm-hmm. seem to use it and use all four downs. Uh, and I kind of got into this and, and explained it. it. It's on Tomahawk Nation. But the problem is, if you're going to be that like stubborn and conservative about that, you really you have to, to make sure you're getting a lot of possessions because you're throwing them away by, by punting like that. And Florida State is 121st in the nation in adjusted pace, which I understand part of that could be because they have a, a true freshman quarterback, but it's actually not that much different from previous years. So you, if you're not if you're going to like purposely create few possessions and not use your depth, which doesn't make much sense when you recruit like Florida State does, but if you're going to play that slow, you can't throw away possessions. And I found that's actually what Jimbo is doing worse than any coach in America. Uh, which is crazy because he's so good at a lot of other things, but that specifically right. is like a, a weird blind spot for, for a guy that's been as successful as he has. Um, I, I looked up Florida, by the way. They are 117th in pace. So if you feel like they're going slow as well, uh, yeah, that, that's that's factual. Um, but people can, can go confirm. read that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, the, the one thing on that that I thought was really interesting um, – was you have this really cool graphic um, that shows, you know, prominent head coaches, Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, 50 in, in fourth downs attempted. <laughs> guy above him, Nick Saban, 114. The guy he I worked mean, for. Right. And that's, you have a guy like Saban who traditionally, and I think that, you know, is, is kind of a tip of the cap to the hiring of Lane Kiffin and, developing that much confidence in that offense under Kiffin, you know, Saban was able to take more risks and, and change his philosophy from defense first to letting your offense take an opportunity. Um, That, that to me was like one of the most glaring things because that's the guy that, you know, would at least in my mind first popped into my head when comparing that number Fisher had to other head coaches. I mean, you would expect, uh, I, I pulled those four guys because they're the four people who currently have national titles, and they're you know four teams that made the playoff, and, and they're four teams that recruit at like a really elite level. So like, all right, mm-hmm. let me find some guys who are, you know, pretty like kind of on equal footing as far as like how do you recruit, you know, big time programs, and it, and Fisher just didn't measure up at all. In some weird way, they're they're running this offense at the the pace of like a like an option service academy, but yeah. I looked at the service academies go for it like 200 times in a seven-year span. They understand seemingly, hey, we're not going to get a whole lot of possessions. Instead, we're going to have very few because we don't have a whole lot of depth and, and necessarily talents. We want to minimize. We want to shorten the game. But on our possessions that we do have, the, the scant few that we have, we really need to take advantage of those. We can't be punting like that. The pace wouldn't be so fatal, or the the conservative nature wouldn't be so fatal if you didn't marry the approaches. There's a, there's kind of a force multiplier effect right. there. Um, so that's uh, that's kind of frustrating. I I do know it's been passed uh, to the coaching staff. So uh, there you somebody, go. Somebody sent me a screenshot of a DM. So <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see if if anything changes there. I'm guessing not. 
for a guy who's owed $40 million, which, hey, I, kind of no excuse to coach scared, right? <laughs> if you have $40 million in guaranteed money. Exactly. But, eh. Okay, uh, last two things here. Uh, who would be your – well, we're going to talk a little playoff stuff. It, it's, we're a couple weeks from the playoff rankings coming out, and then we'll talk some Vegas lines and some games. So, Morgan, let me hit you with this. Who would be your four teams in the playoff right now if you had to pick? If it was right now, I would go, obviously, Alabama, even though Nick Saban thinks that <laughs> the media is rat poison. Uh, Clemson, obviously, kind of torn on – okay, I'm just going to say Big 12's out because haven't seen as much as I'd like from TCU – Plus, that Oklahoma loss to Iowa State looks really bad. Um, so I'll go Alabama, Clemson, Penn State, but I'm not too happy about doing that. But it's it's at this point in the year. And then I'll go Washington from the Pac-12 because they're undefeated. Okay. I, I like that. I think I'm going to go – wait, is TCU undefeated still? They are 5-0, yeah. I thought so. Um, I'm going to go Bama, Clemson – TCU Penn State just because I feel like the schedule TCU has played is better than the schedule Washington's played. Yeah, that's fair. My fifth, like the sixth team I thought about, but I don't really want to put two teams from one conference in right now necessarily is Georgia because Georgia has looked really good. Yeah, they'd be my five too. Um, All right, so that's it for the end of today. Let's take a stab at this and we'll we'll write down these choices and and see how many we get right at, at the end of the year. Who would be your four to get in, like, at the end of the year? That's tough, mainly because looking at the rest of the Pac-12 and the Big 12 schedules, easily whoever wins either of those conferences could have definitely one, at least, but could potentially have two. So if that happens, I mean – Let's say we fast forward to championship Saturday and Georgia has a game like that 2012 SEC championship game where they are tipped pass away from beating Alabama. If you're the committee, I mean, and and the committee has come out and said they're not afraid to put together some rematches. Now, Alabama and Georgia obviously don't play each other during the regular season. Um, But I feel like, and I think it'll work itself out because it has for the past, what, four seasons, three seasons now. Um, but I could see potentially, you know, if, if there's not a strong conference champ from the Pac-12 or the Big 12, um, could could see two teams from the same conference, at least at this point. I, I think I agree with you. I mean, there's a couple teams in my mind that have to be undefeated to get in. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think – like, one loss, Washington – I given the strength of their non-conference schedule, uh, I, I don't know that they would be locked to get in as, as the Pac-12 champ. And Wisconsin, again, I mean, given their non-conference schedule, given what division they play in, they don't play Penn State or Ohio State in the regular season. They right. obviously would play them uh, come Big Ten championship time. I, I think they probably need to be undefeated to get in. Now, I, I think Ohio State or Penn State could, could have one loss because they play in the much tougher division. And they've played a, a tougher uh, non-conference schedule. But I think they may need to go undefeated to get in. I I am interested, you know, how much will the committee consider two teams potentially from the SEC if we do have 
you know, if it's undefeated Bama and undefeated Georgia, and mm-hmm. let's just say Bama beats Georgia, um, Georgia did go and win at Notre Dame, which is pretty convincing. But the like kind of middle bottom of the SEC this year is seemingly really down. I don't know how much the committee would consider that. I, I think for mine, I would go Bama, Clemson, like one, two. I don't I mean, I think both those guys or both those teams are, are in even with the loss. Right. Uh, then I agree with you. The Big 12 champ is is probably not going to get in. I, I don't believe it. I was listening to ESPN Radio, and they said that their stats and info uh, had a 70% chance that the Big 12 champ has two losses. Whew. Yeah, and I could easily see that happening. Oklahoma really screwed itself by, by yep. losing at home as a, as a 30-something point favorite to Iowa State. That's that's bad. I mean, that's first-year coach. And to a backup quarterback. Yeah, a guy who, who didn't was find out he was playing until, like, literally four game four days before the game. If you're if you're Lincoln Riley, that that's got to sting. Maybe the one thing there is if if you've been wanting to fire Mike Stoops, now you have an excuse to. Right. Uh, so maybe long term, that helps that Oklahoma. What, what about Notre Dame? One loss, narrow loss at home. They do get to play USC still. They they got to play what Stanford still. That's a brutal schedule. I I think if Notre Dame actually ran the table on that schedule, they'd have a legitimate look. If they ran the table, absolutely. But they have to do that. I'm going to go Bama, Clemson, I think Ohio State because they've been playing a lot better and and it's Mm -hmm. in Columbus. And then, man, I I don't think Washington stays undefeated, but mm, I I guess Washington. That's that's really chalky, though. Is that the same four we had last year? That would be, yep. Yeah, that'd be pretty boring. (laughs) That would be really boring. Yeah. So you're four. It could, ha- it could happen, though. I mean, it, it definitely could. You're, you're for Bama, Clemson, Penn uh, State, and Washington. So same okay. except for the Big Ten. Gotcha. Perfect. All right. Let's uh, we'll write that down. We'll see how, how our opinions change over the next couple of weeks. Obviously, you guys can give us any kind of feedback uh, that you want to uh, on that. And I'm sure we'll have some disagreement there from the folks who are listening to this. And time to get some some Vegas lines here. We, every week we look at some of the lines that are uh, maybe surprising to us or lines that, lines that suggest maybe an upset could happen. Um, I'll read them real quickly, and then we can figure out which ones we want to talk about. Oklahoma versus Texas, Oklahoma minus eight. Uh, UVA at, at North Carolina is a three-and-a-half-point road favorite uh, in a conference game. Probably been a while since that happened. Uh, West Virginia laying three-and-a-half, hosting Texas Tech. Michigan only given a touchdown on the road at Indiana. TCU is laying six points only at Kansas State. Florida State only laying seven at Duke, fighting for bowl eligibility there, both teams. Uh, Southern Cal hosting Utah, laying 13. Michigan State, off that big win against Michigan, only laying four points at Minnesota. And Miami, we mentioned this, uh, they're only minus five hosting Georgia Tech. Did not realize that Miami game was in Coral Gables. Vegas does not respect Miami thus far. <laughs> no, or I mean, I, I guess there's potential for a like a hangover type game where, where you're, right. you're really reading your own press clippings. And, and they did announce Mark Walton's out for the year with that ankle injury. Right. Um, that's an interesting one. I, I don't know that I really want to take Georgia Tech in that few points, given you know Miami's 
strength is kind of its its front seven. Like the, I'm not sure Georgia Tech is the team to exploit them uh, with, with with that triple option, option offense. But at the same time, uh, I guess we'll see if Miami can run the ball. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Um, I don't know if Malik Rozier can have the same type of game he had against Florida State. I could see it happening. Um, some of these other games, give me Miami minus seven covering that. Or Sorry, FSU. I was looking at FSU and I said Miami. And I think so too. Just, just because Miami's going to be pissed, similar to Michigan, Give me minus seven for them, too. That's a nooner. Ooh. Yeah. The one thing I looked at, that you can go to Bill Connolly's stat profiles on Football Study Hall, a really cool resource that I think more people should use. Duke this year on defense is, like, all selling out. Like, they're just blitz crazy. And that kind of actually fits what Florida State does. FSU this year has been inconsistent. They're not really able to put together long 10-play drives, but they have been able to break some big plays. Uh, so – if you're Florida State, I think you would rather play a style that's very – you'd rather play a very aggressive defense than a passive one that makes Blackman make good decisions over and over again, right? You'd rather just pop a big play and, and, and have it go for 60 or 70 yards for the score. So I feel like they match up well from a, a, a styles make fights type perspective. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, are you surprised Oklahoma's laying over a touchdown against Texas given what happened against Iowa State? Yes. I don't know – Vegas must know something about Texas that we don't. Um, I don't know why that – I mean, that number should be like at – if it was – if Vegas wants to pick Oklahoma, it should be like two or three, two and a half, three. Yeah, I, I think that it's a delicate balance to strike between – like you can't – if you're Vegas, you'd go broke if you just only gauged right. like, like a team on what they did in their previous game. And you, you can't ignore the data point of going to – Columbus and and really beating up Oklahoma pretty well or beating up Ohio State pretty well, but man, they they did look bad against Iowa State. If you're Vegas, maybe you're thinking, all right, that was just a look ahead trap game. You know, they they didn't take Iowa State seriously pretty clearly, got some bad bounces. Uh, you know, it, if they had won that game, even just close, this is probably a ten point spread. Yeah, I can see Oklahoma winning, but I don't. I won't give them the eight points. I, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I, Texas, in some ways, was kind of lucky to, to, to beat Kansas State. They had to go to overtime to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I don't know. That, that'll be interesting. Two, two first-time uh, head coaches at the Big 12 is really betting heavily on to, to be sort of you know, e- elite and, and carry the conference. Kind of like you know, in the ACC, if Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech are your best teams, which they were for, for a time, that's bad. You know, right. if, if TCU and Oklahoma State are your best teams in the Big 12, no disrespect, but that's just that those are not like you know baseball reference. Those are kind of like your five and six hitters. They really don't need to be you know, your free hole mm-hmm. and your cleanup guy. Uh, if Texas and Oklahoma can get back to where they are, then the Big 12 looks looks incredible because you've got a number of, of programs there who are really good, like like B level programs. You know, TCU, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, all those. Um, that'll be interesting to see. That's certainly something we're going to. Hopefully, a rivalry we'll be able to enjoy between those coaches uh, going forward. Other ones we haven't hit: Texas Tech at West Virginia, three and a half. That looks like intriguingly low. Um, Who did Texas Tech play last week? 
I don't know. Let me see. They played. <laughs> they beat Kansas, sixty-five okay. to nineteen. And West Virginia is coming off a a loss at TCU. Huh. That will be interesting. I, 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 that's that's a neat spread there. I'll take West Virginia to cover those. Okay. All right, and Michigan is only laying seven in Indiana. Yeah, give me Michigan. I think easily, so too. Easily taking those seven. Yeah, I I know it's it. I know it's a sucker bet, but I'm probably just going to do it anyway. I like, man. This reminds me a little bit of Michigan at Purdue, right? The line was right. small. Purdue had looked good. Michigan was like, yeah, guess what? Athlete for athlete, you really still can't hang with us. I think that's probably what we have going on here. Utah at Southern Cal, minus 13. Utah I think pretty bad, but... Yeah. Is Southern, Cal, Southern Cal's off a bye? Or do they play Oregon State? They played Oregon State. Yeah. This is kind of one of the things, though, I just – I don't know if Utah can score. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, like it's not like Utah's bad, but if, if if USC can put up 35 to cover this, Utah's got to score 24. Yeah, plus it's at home for USC. Right. Yeah, I'll I'll take Southern Cal. I, I think I will, too, there. That, that's, that's almost like they're begging you to take Utah, and I'm, I'm not going to take the bait. Michigan State minus four at Minnesota. <laughs> Another man. These these are tricky. I don't know what Vegas is doing this week, but it's got to be the letdown effect, right? Like yeah. they got to be thinking, all right, these are college kids. They're a little more like you don't see this in the pros. You don't see like the wild sort of power rating swings and, and stuff, or, or the situational game swings. Yeah, because professionals are a little more, I don't know, professional, if if you will. <laughs> college kids get up and down a lot, and. Uh, if you're Michigan State, there's no way you're hyped up to go play Minnesota after playing Michigan, right? No. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I think that's. I think we hit them all. Okay. Uh, TCU at K State. Did we get that? Oh no, we didn't. See, that's another tricky one. Like K State coming off a real emotional loss uh, to, to Texas in overtime. Now they got to turn around and play TCU. Uh, hmm. That does. That's another one. It feels like maybe it should be a little bit higher. Yeah, I don't know. Take a look at that. You got you got a lot, you got a feel on that one? No, I'm not. I'm not going to touch that one. I I don't blame you. I uh, I think we're good. Cool. Hey, uh, y'all can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play Music, I think Stitcher as well. So those are some good podcast uh, app. I mean, really, if you have an iPhone, use iTunes. If you have an Android, use Google Play Music. Those are probably ninety percent of people out there. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still on SoundCloud. If you like it, uh, give us a review on iTunes. Uh, five stars is the button to click there. And then just give us a nice compliment or two or suggest some things that you'd like to hear as well on the show. You can tweet us. Uh, that's uh, at Morgan underscore Moriarty, correct? Yep. And uh, at Bud Elliott 3 or at SBN Recruiting uh, to find me. And Until next time, Morgan, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you. All right. See you.